Amen. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to 1 Peter. All right. Jump back to our text and uh, subject of study. We've been going through, book of study rather, been going through for some time on Sunday mornings. Back to the book of 1 Peter. All right. And we'll be in chapter 3 and we'll be in verses 13 through 22 here in just a moment. But before we jump into it, just again, want to remind you that Peter is writing for this main purpose, to strengthen the brethren, just as Jesus told him to do in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This is what Jesus wanted him to do. Why? Because in just a few short years, God Almighty knew that soon after the birth of the New Testament church, they're going to need a lot of strength, seeing that they're going to face some great persecution go through some great difficulty, face some, some horrendous trials, they'd be hauled off to prison, be subject to torture, and even be put to death, lose everything they have or ever had, all in a moment's notice. They're going to be under such scrutiny and suffering. And so because of that, these dear believers were going to need some strength to face these uncertain days they were enduring. But where is that strength going to be found? Where was it going to come from? Well, it was going to be found, it's going to come from the eternal word of God. As Peter sits down in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and begins to pen these words in First and Second Peter in these, in these epistles. And from these letters of, of the word of God, these books in the word of God, they would find hope and strength through the fiery trials, through the pain, just hope for the next, for the next day. And be reminded that hope that Peter gives, that the Word of God gives us. Listen, that hope is not some game of chance. It's not a uh, let's cross our fingers and hope this thing works out type of thing. No, the hope that we have as believers and the hope that God gives through His Word is a confident assurance that's based upon the promises and person of God Himself. And that's real hope. And these believers needed it then, and we as believers need it yet still today. And we'll find that great strength and find that great hope from the same place these first century believers found it, and that is from the Word of God. So once again, I want to remind you, you can trust your Bible. And I encourage you to get in it and let God strengthen you and give you great hope for the days you face and the days you'll face in the future. God help us to get in the Word. So keep all that in mind as we go through the book of First and Second Peter, all right? Now as we come back to our text in chapter 3 here, we noticed last time at Peter, a couple Sundays ago, that Peter is circling back, if you will, to acknowledge their current situation, which was what? Which was suffering. He was acknowledging that and knowing what they're going through. And so I want to jump back to that, uh, that message and finish it out today as we consider this title, A Season of Suffering. All right, so let's look at it together. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13, we'll start there. We'll mainly end up in verses 17, 18 and following, but we'll start in verse 13, all right? And the Bible says, And who is he that will harm you, if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteous' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be ye troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. Ask your reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. 
For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. But which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Our fathers, we look to your word again this morning. I pray to you to help us to understand it, help us to apply it to our lives and leave here growing, continually growing in the, in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. I pray that you help us to see this season of suffering and see even today the reason for it, but also a reminder that comes from within it. I pray it help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just by way of remembrance, as we come back to this message and this text today, as we considered the season of suffering, we, we saw the first two points last time, and that was this. Number one, we saw the reality of suffering. I just want to remind you once again that if you take a stand for the Lord, you try to live for Jesus, well, this world is not going to pat you on the back, all right? No, it's going to be quite contrary to that. They ain't going to like it. And uh, you have folks turn their backs even, even against you. But the Bible's plain when it says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, And yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So listen, suffering is a reality, and yes, even to God's people. We face trials, difficulties, tribulations, and more. They are inescapable, and they happen to everyone. It's just simply a reality. And so since it is reality, I just want to remind you again that you never know who is going through a season of suffering. They may be sitting beside you in that pew with a good smile on their face, but in, inwardly their heart and mind is just full of turmoil. You never know what they're going through. So with that knowledge that we all face seasons of suffering, we should treat each other with some grace and some mercy, and love, compassion, so much more. The reality of suffering. And then we saw this. We saw the response of suffering. Again, remember, these first century believers were being accused of some horrendous crimes. They were accused, as we read just a minute ago, as evildoers. And as evildoers, you were an enemy of the state, and you'd lose everything. And so they were suffering as evildoers. But if you were being treated as such, as an evildoer, how would you respond? <laughs> As Peter puts it here, how would your conversation be, meaning your behavior, your, your manner of life, your conduct, how would you respond? Of course, we'd want to lash out when somebody accuses us uh, falsely, we want to lash out and set the record straight, maybe flip over a table and punch out a window or two, right? That's what we want to do, but that's not the right response. Rather, Peter says this in verse 16, we should have a good conversation. 
meaning a pleasant, upright, or joyful manner of life. And this type of response, a good one, will do this. Make them ashamed that falsely accuse you. The only way to truly shut down the accusing finger is to have a good response to those that do so. Have you responded in your times of difficulty, suffering, and trials? God help us to respond, to respond right. And as we move forward, I want to see these two points today. I want to see a reason for the suffering, and I want to see a reminder about it. All right? So let's look at it. So number three, if you're taking notes, big point number three, a reason for suffering. Look at verse 17 with me. For it is better... If the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, when we go through difficulties, troubles, pain, suffering, trials of life, or whatever it may be, we always, often, maybe I shouldn't say always, but often we have a question of this. Why? Why am I going through this? Anybody ever ask that question to the Lord? It's okay to ask that, by the way. It's all right. Uh, uh, he, he, he's, he is the Lord after all. He can handle your questions, all right? It's okay. But surely we all ask that question from time to time. When we're going through difficulty. We ask why. Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? What's the purpose behind this pain? We've asked that question, why? And you're not the only one to ever ask that question. There was a poll that was taken some time ago, and the poll was this. If you could ask God one question and knew you would get, get the answer, what question would you ask? And here was the number one question. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? That was the number one question. People want to know the reason behind the suffering they face. Even characters in Scripture ask this question. The psalmist said in Psalm 6 and verse 3 through 10, My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Again, this psalmist here would have been David. And, of course, he, he would write more in that psalm. But he's asking, Lord, my soul is sore vexed. That word vexed means tortured. I'm in such suffering and hardship and difficulty. But how long is this going to last? Why am I going through this? Even Job would ask this question in Job chapter 7 and verse 17. What is man? That thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him. And thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment. How long wilt thou not depart from me? Nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am burdened to myself? He was so burdened. He was wanting to know why he was going through such agony. And suffering. Of course, there's many others being looked through in Scripture that are going through difficulty and suffering and ask the question, why? But understand when people ask this question of why, it's because they're going through some deep waters, going through some troubled times, going through great anguish, going through some suffering. People ask this question all the time. Skeptics of the Word and skeptics of Christianity, yeah, yes, they do, of course. But they have their ulterior motive of asking why, but yet even believers ask why. God's people can even ask, ask why. But as Bible-believing Christians, we should view this reason 
the question even of why, through the lens of Scripture. Uh, we, should, we should have a world, biblical worldview on this question. We know that God is good. We know His mercy endures forever. We know He is love. We know that God is gracious. And we know so much more, of course, through the Word of God of who our God is. And we know He don't just go making these things happen, all this bad stuff that is, just making all these things happen. Yet it can be hard to reconcile what we know about God with the things that we see in the world, such as the acts of violence, evil hatred of people, crimes against innocent children, sickness, disease, and so much more. Listen, all of that is in every culture on every continent. Everybody faces that. There's no escaping it, but it can be hard sometimes to reconcile the bad things we see in this world to what we know to be true about our great, loving, and amazing God. It can be a little hard, and the question can still be, why? Now, we know, we know that God does not just go make these things Happen. Actually, we know this is going to happen one day. Here's what God's going to make. You ready? The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse number 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain from the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's what he's going to make one day. All things new. And God will take care of everything. It will be absolutely perfect. And so no, no wonder John the Revelator, the one who penned, the human penman of this, the, those verses we just read, no wonder he said, even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, he was ready for the new beginning. God will make all things new one day. But yet today, the question still remains in the day in which we live, how does God or why does God rather allow these things to happen? It's a very hard question to answer. And sometimes we try to give answers to that question, but I wonder if they ever are sufficient enough for the individual as they face those great difficulties that they're going through. But I can imagine at this moment that these believers to whom Peter is writing no doubt had a question similar to, to that of why we're going through this. Why are we enduring such suffering and the fiery trials of life, why are we going through it? Well, could, could it be that the answer lies within verse 17? Look at it with me. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Look, what I'm about to tell you is not popular preaching in our modern-day Christianity. I believe it to be Bible. You see, the suffering that you or I may face today or the days to come, understand it could be, I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying it could be, it could be that, a God, that God allowed it so because it's, well, it's His, His will. Could it be that the will of God for us or for you now 
is that you will suffer now so that tomorrow you can be a messenger of hope for someone later. That you would be an absolute gospel witness to someone going through the exact same thing you're going through now, but you'll be able to help them later. Could it be that this is what God wants right now for you? So you can help somebody else later. That's hard to swallow, I know. But could it be? I would say, yes, it could be. And I say that because of so many examples in Scripture. You can go to the Old Testament, you can look at the man of Joseph. We all remember Joseph, right? Joseph in coat of many colors. We know, we know about him. We know how he suffered. Started with his own family. Good night. You think your family's rough. Why don't you be born into Joseph's family? They want to kill you, quite literally. And blame it on the wild beast, you know. They already had their alibi and everything. They came to their senses, quote unquote, and instead of killing them, let's make some money off of them. They sold them to merchants going down to Egypt. And we know the rest, how Potiphar bought him and why he's in Potiphar's house. He was lied by Potiphar's, lied about by Potiphar's wife and put in prison for several years. But he was going through such suffering and horrendous treatment from the hands of people, even his own family. But did he deserve any of it? Yes or no? Do like this. No, but was he in the center of God's will? Yeah, absolutely he was. And so since he didn't do anything to deserve it, and since he was in the center of God's will, then what was the reason for it all? Well, Joseph put this in perspective later. Maybe in the moment he didn't have this perspective in that in that initial moment of hurt and sorrow and suffering, he didn't have this perspective until later. And here's what he said. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, but as for you, he's talking to his brothers. He said, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day. You see, yesterday, down the road, years before, yesterday, he didn't have this perspective, but then he saw it all come to pass. He says, as it is this day, the present time now, to save much people alive. You see, if he didn't go through what he went through, if he didn't endure the prison that he was in for so many years, he would have not been elevated to the position of really uh, second in command of all of Egypt at this time. But he had to go through suffering in order to get to that moment. So could it be that God allows it to help somebody later? Yeah. What about Paul? We, we know about Paul and how he suffered so tremendously for the gospel's sake, but it, he, he didn't do anything to deserve it. Nothing. And yet, while he was facing it, I still believe he was in the middle and center of God's will for his life. But if he didn't do anything to deserve it, and since he was in the will of God for his life, what was the reason behind it then? Philippians chapter 1, Paul put it into perspective. Philippians 1, verse 12 through 14, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was saying that the things that he had suffered in the past led to the opportunity that he had in the present 
to give the gospel. And especially so far as that gospel reach would go to the very palace, the palace of Caesar, that is. The gospel would reach there. And we know it did because what, what he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, at the very end of the book, he said this, Philippians 4, 22, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. <laughs> Paul, the things you suffered, man, is horrendous. What was the reason for it? So that I could have this opportunity to come before the very palace of Caesar and give them the gospel so that people in the palace could hear about Jesus and get saved. That's the reason. So could it be that the present suffering could lead to some kind of future help for somebody else? And that God's allowing it because if you're going to reach somebody, you have no idea that they've existed yet. Could it be Absolutely. Understand God can allow suffering that we face now to be a gospel opportunity for tomorrow. He sure can. We may not know the reason why at this present moment, but let me plead with you this morning, okay? Remain in the middle and center of God's will that you know to do and know to do what's right. Do it. Remain in the middle of God's will and allow God to use that tough, Hard, difficult, suffering time. Allow him to use it for his glory in the future. Because he will. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you with confident assurance based upon the word of God that nothing is wasted with the Lord. Nothing. What's the reason for it? What well, could be God's going to use this in a big way for you to help somebody else. I had that conversation just this past week with somebody who two or three years ago, they didn't know why they were going through what they were going through. And I told them something around, along these lines two or three years ago, what I've just told you now. And I reminded them this past week of the why. I said, do you remember me telling you two or three years ago that God's going to use this to further the gospel and you're going to help others? Yeah. How many people you helped this week? Four. Nothing's wasted, my friend. Nothing's wasted. So a reason of suffering, number four, last I want to see this, a reminder about it. A reminder about suffering. Look again at verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now as Peter writes, to the suffering saints here in his first century, he reminds them that they are not the first to go through suffering, reminds them that they are also not going to be the last to go through great difficulty. And as he gives them, gives them this reminder, he points to the greatest uh, enduring, if I can say it this way, the greatest enduring of suffering known to man, and especially that Peter could ever think of, as he points them to the Lord Jesus Christ when he says this in verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He says Christ also hath once suffered. And no doubt this phrase here in this verse should have done this. Number one, it should have been a source of help for these believers. 
<laughs> Look at the word, verse, uh, verse number 18, the word also here, all right? This word is giving an indication that, yes, Peter knows these believers are suffering and that unjustly, meaning they didn't deserve it. He knows what the situation they're going through is, we can say it this way, unfair. He knows they're not the first to endure this type of treatment either, though. He also knows that it was the Lord Jesus who suffered unjustly and unfairly at the hands of evil people. He knows this. Remember, when Jesus suffered, he did so in the will of God. And so with that understanding that even the Lord suffered as they were suffering, this should have given them, it should have been this knowledge, this truth from the word of God should have given them great help and given them great strength to face their suffering. What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. This should point to the fact that they are not alone in their suffering. They have the Lord as their helper. Why? Because the Lord went through it and therefore he can sympathize he can empathize perfectly with them Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 16 seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold, hold fast our profession for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin he says this because of all that let us therefore come bold into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Listen, listen. Nobody else may, be, may know what you're going through this morning. I want you to know Jesus does. Jesus knows the turmoil in your heart. He knows the difficulty that is arising. He knows the suffering you may be enduring. He knows it all. He knows about pain. He knows about sorrow. He knows about grief. He knows about battling. He knows why he went through it all. And because he did, we, you and I, have this great opportunity to boldly come before the throne of grace. Why? Because our high priest, Jesus Christ, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, meaning he can be, he is touched with it. Was all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This reminder of suffering should have been a great source of help for these dear believers that they're not alone and Jesus is with them. Not only that, not only is this a source of help, but it should be a source, number two, a source of hope. You see, the suffering of the Lord, it wasn't just for, it wasn't just for some motivational help, you see. Not just for help for today. The suffering that Jesus went through was for hope for tomorrow too. The suffering that Jesus went through was to provide Great hope. Look at it again, verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. This is an absolute amazing verse to me. 
as it points to what Jesus has done and did for you, for me, for the entire world. And take note of a few things quickly, all right? Number one, take note of this. Jesus suffered for sin. Now, this sin is no sin of his own. We know he did not commit any sin. Our Savior was sinless. He was perfect. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Romans 8.3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means an appeasement of or a satisfaction for our sin. Understand, listen, Jesus is the only one who could ever satisfy the wrath of a righteous, holy, and just God. That wrath that you and I deserve, that our sin deserves. It was only Jesus that could satisfy that wrath. Through his blood and his blood only. The Bible says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 10, 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Listen, he suffered but on behalf of our sin. Why? So he could take our sin away. That's why. So he can be clean and righteous before a holy God through Jesus and him alone. He suffered for our sins. And notice this. He says this, the just for the unjust. The just here corresponding to the Lord Jesus as he is the just one, the upright one, the righteous one. But the unjust here it's not just those who are treating these Christians badly, not just the evil people of the day. No, no, no. The unjust is pointing to all of humanity. You see, in and of ourselves, we are unjust and unrighteous in and of ourselves. As Scripture plainly teaches in Romans 10, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. No, we're all unjust. So listen, Christ suffered in and in his death for every human being who ever lived, the just for the unjust. Now I know there's some who would teach otherwise, have you believe otherwise that Jesus only died for a certain select few, but I do not believe that, no. I believe that Jesus gave his life for the entire world, for all of mankind, 
As it plainly says in John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He puts the person, he puts the person responsible for responding to Jesus or not. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 through 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's what uh, Paul, Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 11 and verse 32 for God hath concluded here's the conclusion of it all. God hath concluded them all in unbelief. Why? That he might have mercy upon all. That's why. This is so remarkable. This, this very verse, he's concluded everybody in, in, in unbelief so he can have mercy upon everybody. It's so remarkable that even Paul would say these words. As he says in verse same chapter, Romans 11, in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The just for the unjust, that's for all of us. He gave his life for you, for me, for the entire world. Why? Number three. Back in our text in verse 18, that he might bring us to God. That's why. The only access we could ever have to God the Father is through God the Son. There is no other way, period. Though I'm very thankful we're having a baptism this morning, that is not the access to God the Father. I'm thankful we have several folks lined up to join our church. I'm thankful that God is bringing folks our way and people want to yoke up with us and go, and go forth with the gospel and for the glory of God. I'm thankful for church membership, but that's not what gives access to God the Father. The only way we have access to God the Father is through God the Son. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Him meaning Jesus. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, him being Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. That is as plain as you can put it. In plain speech, it's easily understood. There is no other way. I can't emphasize it enough that Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is the only Savior. We must call upon him to save us. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And what is that name? It is the name of Jesus. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that name is Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you done that? 
seeing that he gave his life for you. He died for your sin and mine, once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Have you called upon Jesus to save you? You see, as Peter writes to these dear believers, he's writing to save people. And it should give them a help as he writes about this, yes, but also a hope that there's a better day coming all because of what Jesus has done, you see. Not that what, anything we can do, but what he has done. And because of what he has done, and our faith in him, I'm telling you, there's coming a better day. Take your handbook, would you? There in front of you. I want you to go to hymn 470. I'm going to ask Aaron if she'll come. Let's look at this together. What a song. I love it. Hymn 470. Remain seated just for a moment, okay? Don't you see it? Remain seated with your family. We sing this song from time to time. It's such a great reminder. Especially in the midst of difficulty and suffering. There's coming a better day. All because of the hope that Jesus has provided and given. Hope, again, is not some game of chance or wishful thinking, No. It's assurance, confident assurance based upon the promises and person of God that is coming a better day. Hymn 470, what a day that will be. It says, there is coming a day when no heartaches shall come. Aren't you glad for that? There'll be no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. And all is peace <laughs> forevermore. That's what people desire, especially in the midst of their suffering. They just want some peace and quiet. But it's coming one day. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. Will you help me sing it this morning? Verse 1, hymn 470, what a day. 